Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 43. And those of you in the States are back on the same time difference uh, as you normally are, having uh, sp- uh, fallen back uh, last weekend. Uh, this is John Hindhoff live from the UK where it's very, very dark outside on what has been a pretty cold and rainy day here in the central part of England of course it was I was picking the 968 up from uh, Ryan at Huntsmith who did a cracking job in uh, cleaning the old thing up and it looked great for about ooh, all of 10 seconds before I had to drive it back from Brackley uh, up in London is Tim Gray our executive producer good evening Tim Good evening, John. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features uh, and plenty of guests, one of whom will be previewing the big event this weekend on RS1. Yes. And one of whom is building an Ypermarche. An Ypermarche? Apparently. Is it Ypermarche? Or Ypermarche? It's Ypermarche. It's got an acute accent on that, finally. Okay. That seems reasonable. Uh, okay. Um, guests? Yes, that's what I've just told you about. Right, excellent. Uh, uh, and our nine o'clock interview tonight is what? Uh, is uh, the man who's going to be previewing the big event this weekend on RS1. Ah. We have two big events this weekend. One Only on one RS1. of them's on RS1, though. The other yes. one's on RS2 and the radio. Yes, and we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, and uh, your... Your uh, submissions too, please, to at Specutainment. Hello, uh, if you have been sending to us already. Uh, no AFAs from the crotch belt tonight. Uh, was sitting in an, af- ash, an ash, ice bath listening to last week and uh, is now ready uh, for episode 40. The crotch belt has been suffering from withdrawal sim- symptoms because of no, ra- uh, no racing. Um, well, we'll put that right this weekend with a couple of... Uh, of events and of course uh, this weekend and next weekend live sport for you uh, with two events this weekend and then 24 hours a quarter uh, coming up uh, we'll have a bit of Formula 1 news as well as though although Nick Damon is not with us this weekend well he's not I've just looked to my right and he's not here he's not with you is he? He's not here no. Right okay well it's a good job I recorded a bit with him earlier on this week about the big news in Formula 1 as it was then but we will have some Formula 1 news we'll have some uh, MotoGP news as well and uh, Shea Adam and Jeremy Shaw with any luck if the technology holds up uh, will be joining us later on uh, who else have we got in uh, hello to Jake Parrott uh, this evening uh, who is tuned in 
uh, live. James Countess says uh, at Reading, Reading uh, this week, chemistry degree, clearly, clearly being misunderstood, doesn't ha- have enough uh, race car engineering, cast you on the podcast. Uh, the at Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch with us, as Tim gets ready by shuffling his papers to give us the top story. Yeah, I just find that jingle. <laughs> All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Ever since I was a young boy. Ah, uh, really? Really. Ever since uh, I was a young boy, I've enjoyed yes. watching those films of tower blocks and industrial chimneys being demolished. I love those things. So when Road Atlanta advertised a video of the demolition of their tower, I got very excited. And there was a live stream. Then I watched it. Yes. I cannot express how underwhelmed I was. <laughs> Displeased, disenchanted, dismayed, dismally disappointed. No. No word can be found to describe the depths of my level of whelm. <laughs> it started so promisingly. There were men in high-vis jackets and hard hats. Seven minutes and 42 seconds later, when the video ended, there'd been quite a lot of cheering from the assembled spectators. However, apart from a small hole in one corner of the ground floor, the tower remained very much intact. Yeah, um, they had a big nibbly thing. They, 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 they had a sort of a, a, a caterpillar with an arm on it that broke through the, the roof of the old press room downstairs. And that was about it, really, wasn't it? Yes. Hmm. Um, however, I wasn't even impressed with, um, if they're going to demolish it in that way, why are they not doing it in an environmentally sound way by removing and recycling all the glass and metal first, Mm. which they'd have to do in uh, a modern metropolitan city. But clearly, in uh, the middle of the countryside, they can get away with not doing that. I, I, I suspect one of the reasons, first of all, that they didn't blow it up was because of its squirrels, uh, squirrels, <laughs> squirrels, uh, was because of its proximity to the racetrack. Not like there's a race on. It happened on a Monday morning. Wow. There wasn't even anyone testing, although they could have been because they caused so little disruption. Well, ex- except there was a caterpillar tracked. A big nibbly thing on the track, um, which I was very surprised at because I thought, oh, that might damage the track surface at the final corner. I am quite excited about that. I, I mean, we saw the new renderings of the, the new Michelin um, press room and tower, which uh, at, at uh, Road, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, which I'm very excited about. Um, I, 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 I can't quite work out where it's all going to fit in. Um, but all right, that's fine. Would you have rather that they had sort of dynamited it from the bottom and it had it all sort of yes, sit down on itself? On itself yes. yes. I'm always very impressed by that. There's a science to that, isn't there? There is. Mm. is that, that was our top story, was it? That's, that's our top story. <laughs> you weren't happy, were you? I can tell that, Mr. Grip. <laughs> um, I will ask Later them... on, we'll talk to Shay Adam and see what she thinks. All right. Okay. Um, where, where are we going? I can tell you where next. I've got um, some calendar news next. You do like a bit of calendar yes. news, don't you? If you were listening to our coverage of the 24 Hours of Barcelona last month, yes. you'll have heard us I exclusively was, unveil the uh, calendar for all the Creventic Championships next season. Mm. Provisional calendar, that was. Mm. They now have a finalised version of it, mm-hmm. and there are 
couple of minor changes. Really? Yes. Which are? Uh, the 12 Hours of Mugello yes. has been put back a week. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, that's a sensible move because it did clash with the opening uh, VLN race of the season. Yes. Uh, and you wouldn't want to do that because that's when uh, drivers who want to take part in the Nürburgring 24 hours go out and uh, get some and, track time and in order to laps. get their Nürburgring license, Nordschleife license. Yes, get the license in. Yeah, absolutely. However... The other move is at the other end of the European Championship season, and that's the... Barcelona. Uh, uh, Hankook 24 Hours of Barcelona, which has moved a week earlier mm. uh, to the 30th of August. Now that... that hang which on. Which means it also now doesn't clash with a VLN race. Or a V2V race. Uh, and there was quite a few of other things that were that were going on that day. However, that sparks a, a little warning sound in my mind as if... Um, those of you who watch Top Gun, as if something has locked on to me, um, so I'm going to break left and throw chaff and flare. Um, that, as I remember, is the FIA WEC at Silverstone. The opening round of the 2019-2020 <laughs> uh, FIA World Endurance Championship season at Silverstone. Yeah. Uh, Silverstone's a long way from Barcelona, though, so you won't get uh, uh, any clashes with uh, fans, and you have very few, if any, drivers who will be... Uh, because the 24 hours of Barcelona is predominantly touring car race, very few uh, drivers who would uh, have a clash there either. Now, there is a question, though. Is it GT and touring cars? It is GT and touring cars, yeah. Right, so because there is an ELMS race that weekend as well, of course. Well, we don't know that yet. Oh, sorry. Am I, was I not supposed to say that? There is an ELMS race that weekend. Isn't there? Come on, there has to be. They've cut Silverstone down to four hours. They can't cut the ELMS race out as well. Yes, and also the... Um, Actually, why didn't they just move the um, Hancock race to Silverstone? That would have been even better. <laughs> and run them all at the same time. Run ELMS, hours, yeah. run ELMS, TCE, GT and WEC all at the same time, but all on... Different start and finish times. That wouldn't have confused anybody at all. They could have had the TC, uh, TCR cars uh, doing um, on the school circuit, couldn't they? Stow circuit. Stow circuit. Hmm. Possibly. Uh, Probably too many of them. I do honest. know, mm-hmm. I wondered whether uh, one of these support races to that WEC Silverstone meeting mm-hmm. uh, might be a round of the Porsche Carrera Cup. Uh, because they do like Rip to, Britain. yes, because they mm. do like to have a a, a moving round. They do. Uh, sometimes uh, over the last few years they've been to Monza. Sometimes they've, as they did this year, sometimes they've been to Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they've been to the Nurburgring. I think yes. once they went to Spa. Yep. Uh, but uh, they're not going to be going to Silverstone. Oh really? No. Is that calendar out? Is it? Uh, that calendar may not be out, but I've been told that their guest uh, race will not be at Silverstone. Shall we move on to a bit of Formula One news? Yes, let's move on to some Formula One news. For which, of course, we need... Hooray! <laughs> As you've already said, though, Nick Damon isn't here, so we're going to have to do our Formula One top story without him. Good! 
I wondered if you were going to use that. Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. We're going to rock you from the top. What was the first song? What was the first song? So that was the opening Adrian Cronauer. Was it Freddie and the Dreamers? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. He goes all the way through his first... That was the first bit of, uh, of, of Cronauer that you see in the movie Good Morning Vietnam. And he comes off at the end and it's Martha and the Vandellas. And nowhere to run to. It's great. Yes, I, it is. I've got that album on vinyl. It's. I'm going to have to dig that out now, aren't I? That is fantastic. And this, of course, is the news that Hanoi Hannah is going to be holding a Grand Prix in April of 2020. Yes. Uh, it, a hybrid circuit for hybrid cars, which is a... Uh, which will have the longest straight in any Formula One. At f- did I see it was five kilometres the straight? That was clearly a mis <laughs> a mistyping of it's some a five kilometre circuit, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Um, it's got a long straight. Uh, it is a very long straight. Have you seen the diagram? Yes, I have. Uh, and some of it is going to be uh, sort of purpose built. So there's a bit of proper straight circuit, a bit of purpose built circuit, which takes its uh, inspiration from places like uh, the Nürburgring, Formula One circuit and, and various other places. Um, and this is 2020 and Chase Carey, he of the fantastic facial hair, said this will be in addition to the fantastic 21 race calendar that we've got in um, 19. Uh, so everybody talking about whether it's going to replace Silverstone or going to replace Germany. Um, he seems to think at the moment, at least, it's going to be an additional race. And nothing wrong with that. No, no, nothing at all. Uh, Is it going to happen? It's going to be in April, uh, so they can pair it with other races in... Uh, in that part of the world. Asia, mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. and uh, what else is around there? Uh, I mean, obviously Singapore's quite close, but they do that in September. Uh, sorry, no, yeah, September. You mean don't yes? What what is geographically close, not uh, on the on the calendar? Um, that if if the calendar remains the same and that is added to it, that would be four straight circuits um, out of twenty-two. Um, it's not a huge amount, but is it is it enough? Is it too many? I'd say that was about right. Well, one, one in sixteen was far too few. Right. I'd spec entertainment. Four out of 22 straight circuits in Formula One. First of all, is 22 the right amount? Is it uh, too many, too few? And is it uh, the right amount of straight circuits? Although, in fairness, this is, um, as I said, it's it's meant to be an, an hybrid, a hybrid. The question for me, Tim, is we've seen Formula One in its various guises um, uh, looked after by um, Bernie and by... Uh, latterly by Liberty, um, this is Liberty's first opportunity to have a go at a new, uh, a new event, really. Um, but we've seen places in that time, of the, that part of the world, that have, have, have held a Grand Prix for maybe a couple or three years and then not anymore. I think Malaysia, particularly Turkey, I suppose another one. Well, mm-hmm. they're sort of not that far across in Asia, but on the border of. Um, I don't know. Is the answer? It's described as a multi-year deal, but there's no quantification as to how many years multi-year is. But if you're building, if you're not, I mean, first of all, putting up a street circuit is expensive, but building the infrastructure to build, uh, to put together, in or even on the outskirts of Hanoi, um, a city centre, a street and purpose-built circuit. 
that's quite a lot of investment mm. and one would hope that they could amortise that over a number of years. I'd expect you, Tim, and tell us but what you think. The purpose-built uh, part is going to be very much like Melbourne in that it goes through a park and around a lake, or partially around a lake. Mm. I, I, I like the look of it. I love the run down to that uh, sort of the hairpin, that long, curving run down to the hairpin and the right-handed hat. I presume it's a clockwise circuit. Um not seen anything to suggest otherwise. Right, OK. Uh, David Bruce says, we definitely have too many F1 races. 18 would be plenty, but I'm fine with only four. Hello to Right Turn Lover, who's in tonight. Uh, and Kevin Payne says, uh, I've caught up on the podcast and um, I'm... Uh, and I've already booked with travel destinations for Rolex 24, so I can't wait. Uh, no EFAs from Alexander Orkin tonight. Listening on... Uh, Tune in as I drive south home. Rob Jane just got in in time. Uh, first time in here, just listening. Uh, let's hear, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about this Formula One car? Car- 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 sorry, Carol Brink saying at Spectatainment, with 22 races, why not go year-round? Every other week would be another race. That would mm. give us 44 weeks of the year. You see, I, 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 I'm... That's not a stupid idea, is it? Gives you no midsummer break, and they do want their midsummer break. So they don't clash with other things? Well, no, so that they don't die. Right, well, quick. Exhaustion. But, but you could still have the midsummer break. That There's still six weeks, 44, 22 races, 44 weeks. There's 52 weeks in the year the last time I looked. Yes. Mm-hmm. You've got to have some pre-season testing and all your launches and oh, get rid of all of that. Christmas. Just do, no, no, just do, just do the launch at the first race. And why does the why does the the break need to be midsummer? Why can't it be at the end of the year? Well, you have to have one in the middle of the year and one at the end of the year. All right, so you can have three, three weeks in summer, three weeks in winter. Rob Rob Jenner, who just got in the meter, said too many. Uh, let's have fewer races and bring back testing. People don't go pay to go and watch testing, though, do they? No, indeed. Uh, you listening? So, uh, your thoughts on that throughout the programme, Nick Damon, uh, with something that we recorded with him earlier in the week about the other Formula One news coming up. It's Midweek Motorsport Series 13, uh, episode 43. Be interested to hear what you think. Do you know who's designed this Hanoi circuit? Uh, partially by the Tilka Group. Uh, yes, by the Tilka Group. Uh, so, he's stolen bits of other circuits. Mm. Turn one the IP? and two... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from the Nürburgring, Nürburgring. Yep. Uh, and turns 16, 17 and 18 are from Suzuka. Mm. The rest of it, we're not sure. We're not sure. Uh, let's stick with the big news of the week. Uh, plenty to come, including uh, Jim Cameron from uh, Mission Motorsport as our nine o'clock interview tonight. But one of the big stories this week uh, involves sports cars. Our, our stock in trade and... Uh, we're already looking forward to 2020. Why are we looking forward to 2020? Because it's the Ypermarché, the hypercar rules in 2020-2021, the uh, 2020-2021 season. And already we have a manufacturer who has committed to those rules, despite the fact the rules actually don't exist, but there are a framework of rules that have been uh, put out for people to have a look at and have a think about and and comment on. And I'm delighted to say that it's one of our favourite brands, Glickenhaus, um, Scuderia, K2, 
Cameron Glickenhouse, SCG. We've talked about them before at the Nürburgring. Now, uh, Jim not able to join us tonight, but his son, Jesse, who is the MD of Glickenhouse, is. And we'll talk about this story, which is developing very quickly. First of all, Jesse, thank you very much for joining us on Midweek Motorsport tonight. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure to be here. Now, Things are moving fast uh, in uh, a category where we actually don't even have any proper regulations. We've got the flavour of how things might be in 2020 for the top class at Le Mans. Um, But you guys have made no bones about the fact that you want to be at Le Mans and you want to be in the top class at Le Mans. So the so-called hypercar regulations are right up your street. That's right. It's, It's a perfect opportunity Um, As you say, the draft regulations are out now, which we're reading through 150 pages of, studying them carefully, and the final regulations will be out soon. But for us, it's an opportunity where the hypercars, the LMP1 class, will be something that looks and feels like a car that you could drive on the road. And that's exactly what we do. And we have committed that we will be there in that class. Now, now, what? There's no, from from what I'm reading from the ACO, uh, and this will be the WAC top class as well, of course, there won't be a, uh, a mandated part of those regulations that means it has to be built on a road car, um, but it, it's to take some, it's a bit like DPI in, in IMSA, or, albeit with a hybrid, it has to take some styling cues, but you you are looking at this from a slightly different direction, because you've always wanted to have the cars that you race be be road legal or at least a a road going version thereof yeah for for us there's there's sports cars and then there's sports cars and sports cars to (laughs) us are things that you can drive to a race tape the headlights go racing and drive home and and in the 60s there was this magical time where the the top prototype class had to meet the road rules and they raced with spare tires and they raced with albeit very small luggage boxes um and uh, we are fortunate to be custodians of some of those cars, the Ford Mark IV uh, chassis J5, uh, and uh, sorry, chassis J6, um, that raced at Le Mans in 1967. And that was a road legal car at the mm. time. And that's the last time a car made in America has won Le Mans first overall. So we want to go back with a road legal car. And, and, and this is very much in the vein of what you have done in the past with the uh, Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus SCG 003 that we have talked about uh, a lot and, in fact, was a pole position car, let's not forget, at the Nürburgring for the Nordschleife for 24 hours. The, the idea was always that that car would be able to be made a road legal car. And in fact, actually... I remember talking to you, your dad in Germany, and he said, you know, if we could make this a, a GT3 car and build enough, it would be GT3 legal. So this has always been the the strategy, the mantra of how you guys have built your cars. Yeah, so it, it has. And, um, and for us, it, we start with the engineering challenge of the great classic races in the world, whether that's 24 Hours in Nürburgring or Le Mans. And if we can build a car... A lot of people start with a a road car and then decide to build a race version of it. But for us, if we've built a car that can go 24 hours at the Nürburgring and and do 633 lap on the Nordschleife, and then we may take that and and make a road legal version, we know that is a tough, fun, fantastic car to drive. Um, 
And so it's the same thing with the so-called hypercar. To me, um, many people say, well, certain cars are very fast and they may be down a six mile straight runway. But can you race it around the ring? Can you go one lap at your local track without destroying the car? Um, and that's what we aim to do. So for us, a hypercar is something that we could literally drive to Le Mans, race Le Mans, and if the stars align, drive drive home. I, I love I love that idea. I, I really do. Now, let's be absolutely clear here. If you're stepping into this arena with Le Mans, with the World Endurance Championship, the likelihood is that Glickenhaus is going to go up certainly against the might of Toyota. We know that they're going to uh, support these new regulations. Now, aside from anything else, is that a fair fight? And what makes you think then that it's a fair fight that you guys can get into and go up against the biggest and some would say the most successful car company in the world? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And when we first had this dream, there's a lot of people that, that hear this dream that we're going to go uh, and try to compete against the best in the world and, and believe that that's a little bit crazy. And it, it may be. Um, but there's two answers to that question for how we can compete. Um, the first answer is that we believe and we hope that the rules are made to be a little bit more in favor of smaller private teams to cap some of the um, spending that we can't do with the, the big teams. If, if Toyota wants to spend a billion dollars, they can build a better car than us. There's no question about that. Uh, but if the, some of the spending is capped and the rules are capped in a way um, that might favor smaller teams, we have a very good shot. The other thing is we are lucky in that we assemble teams of people that are doing their dream job. Um, the last two days from all these articles that have been posted, I've been responding to dozens and dozens of inquiries from all over the world of engineers, racers, different people that want to come onto this effort and join this team. Um, and for the for the the 003, which you mentioned, which meets the GT3 rules, that has the aerodynamic efficiency of an LMP2 car meeting the GT3 rules. Um, and when we race at the ring, we have the worst balance of performance of any car. <laughs> we race with the most ballast. We make, race with the most air restriction. Um, and the, the point of the balance of performance is to make the cars equal. So what that tells you is if we have the worst balance of performance, unbalanced, we have the fastest car. Yes. Well, in um, fact, the only thing that stops that being a GT3 car, Jesse, is the fact that you haven't built enough examples of the road car. I mean, you look at something like the Ford GT, which is actually a GTE, a GT Le Mans car. They had to build a certain amount to get that into the, into that category. It's the same for GT3. You have to build it. There has to be a certain amount, a, a lowish volume of cars right. that have to be built. That's the only reason that the, the 003 isn't a GT3 car. Every other part of the regulations that are regulations in GT3, that car uh, adheres to. You're, you're absolutely correct. Um, you're absolutely correct. And for us, with the, with the Le Mans project, um, back in the day, you did have to homologate some road cars. Ford made originally approximately 30 uh, Mark IVs, uh, uh, sorry, 
um, GT40s to try to sell to homologate road legal versions. They had trouble selling them then. But for us, we want to do a very limited road legal run of the LMP1 car um, so that it is really, truly a race car for the road, a supercar that you can drive to Le Mans um, and race. I'll come back to the, the regulations and how you think that's going to work in terms of going up against these um, super well-funded uh, manufacturers in a little while. But I want to develop something that you've just mentioned there, if I may. And that's the business sure. case for this. Because quite clearly, there's a great difference between any manufacturer, be it a large, small, or even a boutique manufacturer like yourself, building a single racing car, or a couple of racing cars, let's say, to go racing. That That's very... Uh, very uh, focused and you don't have to worry about uh, type approval, homologation for the road and things like that. You're talking about a business case here where this car will beget, this LMP1 car at Le Mans will beget a, a street car. That's a different business proposition altogether. And is that, a, is that a realistic business proposition, Jesse? Well, when you say realistic, we're not a business in any sort of business sense. If, if the goal of a business is to turn a dollar into two dollars, we're probably the opposite of a business. Um, we are a dream and a passion, and we love the process of what we do and sharing that with people. Um, and we, uh, if we make any money from selling any of those. Uh, road legal versions, it's going to go right back into the racing program. Yeah. So, you know, when Enzo Ferrari started, he uh, his first two cars were race cars and he was running out of money to go racing and he took a bunch of parts and put them together and sold his first customer car. Um, and he sold cars to go racing and he wasn't starting a business in any sort of business point of view. He was selling cars to go racing. Um, and so is it is it a reasonable business? Um, we're going to do it. <laughs> and we already actually have a handful of those those uh, road legal versions that are spoken for. Right. Um, already just people that want to be involved in this process. Uh, and, and so from what you're saying, you don't need to sell the cars. The, the business case is you don't need to sell the cars to build the race car. If you sell some road legal cars off the back of racing it, then that will go back into into the project. It, it's not the other way around. So you don't have to say, right, we, we need to build 120 of these things before we can go to Le Mans. It, from a business point of view, from a financial point of view, that's that doesn't sound like that's the case to me here, no. that, that you're going to commit to building the race car and everything else will come off the back of that. Well, I, I'll go even further. We have committed to building the race car, and very soon we will be officially announcing we have um, a sponsorship to cover the cost of the racing for Le Mans. So not only have we committed to going, wow. we have financial sponsorship to do it. Um, and we are going and we will be there in 2020, 2021. Uh, so that's an absolute thing that we've committed to do. And Was that a hard the, sell to the sponsor, given that this is, all right, it's the world's greatest motor race, 
you know, I, I say that. Of course, I'm bound there with my background. Other people might argue that they'd, they'd be wrong in my in my estimation. Um, it's the world's greatest motor race, but we're talking about a set of regulations that don't even exist yet, and you've got a sponsorship that will put the twenty million or so dollars together to get you into that champ into that championship, into the WEC, and into Le Mans in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, whenever this takes takes place. So. It, uh, you know, we've been saying we want to go to Le Mans for years and years and years. True. Uh, and we've talked to a lot of sponsors. And, and, and this time we found, um, we found a group of people that believes in this dream. Um, and they are very excited to get involved. And they are in this for the long run, too. Um, they're in this for the long run, too. And we are building a company. This is not something – that makes sense. You could not get this approved by any rational board of directors <laughs> for a short-term business plan. Um, but if if you say the vision is ten years down the road, mm. uh, this there's people that believe in that dream and see it happening. And we're in fact just this week on Thursday we're closing on a factory space, an additional factory space that will allow us to scale to build up to fifteen cars a week. Um, and I'm talking to architects and engineers, and we're, we're getting that going so that we can be ready in 2020. Uh, and, uh, I've I've heard a rumor that you guys have been looking at the old Highcroft premises, um, which That's right. obviously we know those guys uh, pretty pretty well. Uh, and, and that is not quite a turnkey operation, but you know that they can you, you can what you can do with that space. Yes, that that is the space. It's at the. Um, Danbury Airport, so potential customers could fly into the factory. Very well, um, and it's a very, it's a, just a really cool space. I do, uh, I do. Already, rem- we've been. Sorry, I do remember being there for a, a race car launch, and uh, God rest his soul, Doctor Don Pinos literally uh, flew his plane in, parked up outside, and walked no more than forty steps to get into the yeah. uh, to get into the factory unit. Actually. There, there you go. Yeah, and for, for the, the listeners that haven't seen the building, it's a big round building that was originally built to build turnstiles for railroad tracks for trains to turn around and also for skyscrapers, restaurants in the sky that rotate. Uh, so it's this big round building, just a really fun, unique space. And we're working with our architect and our structural engineer to get it turned around. Now – Key to this, I would think, and I'm not sure how many of our listeners will realise how important this is, but in terms of what we've been talking about, back in uh, 2017, I think it was, you were, uh, uh, SCG, uh, Scuderia, Cameron, Glickenhaus, were approved in the US as a low volume manufacturer, which means I think you can do somewhere around about 300 cars a year that you don't have to crash test in the states and uh, but you've got to have emission standards and things like that but you you don't have to do federal crash testing yes 325 cars a year that's correct we are NHTSA approved low volume manufacturer and our models have all been approved by NHTSA um, as low volume manufacturer vehicles Um, that is true but the other side of that is we see um a lot of people that are really excited about these vehicles, both in the United States and abroad. And um, just this morning, I was answering an email from somebody that was interested from the UK who wanted to import several cars <laughs> into the UK. And we are currently um, we're currently in negotiations to fully 
homologate our models so that they are full worldwide road legal cars, crash tests, airbags, the whole nine yards. And again, if you ask, does that make sense from a business point of view Not to spend however many millions of dollars to do that? No, not at all. It doesn't make any sense. But having said that, do we believe in this dream and vision? And 10 years down the road, it might make sense. Hmm. We'll see. Let me take you back now, because that, for me, you guys being a dream factory, if you want to put it that way, that makes perfect sense. And the way that you're going about it is eyes open. Uh, you're not sugarcoating it for anybody. There's going to be a large investment, most of which you're probably not going to get back anytime soon or possibly even at all. That's what I read from that. And I think that's a very sensible way to go about it. So you're ready for that and you're looking at something for the greater good. Let's go back to the racing side of things because that's what this all hangs on. Um, the regulations, the, the gist of the regulations is to hopefully, the guys at the ACO Technical are, are, are hoping to make it pointless for Toyota we know are going to sign up. So let's use Toyota as, as, the, uh, as the major manufacturer. Make it pointless for Toyota to spend 100, 200, 300, 500 million dollars on developing an engine or squaring away the arrow, sharpening the razor blade of the rear wing, whatever it is. They're hoping to make that spend pointless and make it so that it isn't actually viable for them to keep on spending. They won't get the return on the investment in performance terms. However, what Toyota will have is the ability for additional spend, for activation, for the sort of money that Le Mans and the WEC needs from big manufacturers to continue doing what they're doing. Are you in the slightest bit worried that that might buy them influence, even if their big budget can't buy them performance gains? To say that, to say that racing is only technical would be naive and there's there's there is as you say politics involved and there's a lot of factors involved um and we can assemble the best team that we can and inspire and build the best car that we can for the budget that we can and then there's some politics and then there's some luck uh and there's some other things involved um so that is possible um but having said that I do honestly believe that the organizers are trying for smaller teams to compete. Um, and I do believe that the intentions of these rules are wonderful to get smaller private teams involved. Um, and so I'm not so worried about the politics. Um, I'm not so worried about the politics. I think we'll see. Well, we, it's still a few years down the line. That That is clear. I, I'm very excited about it. As a uh, as a, an enthusiast who's been around for a few years now, I think it gives the opportunity for people like yourselves. Kona Sig's been mentioned. I know that David Brabham and his new car company, the Brabham Car Company, is, is very interested in this. And I'm sure there'll be other people who are also interested in this. I also think it gives the opportunity for racing car manufacturers, Delara, uh, Orica, Lola, sadly, 12 miles away from where I'm standing at the moment, aren't, are no more. But I'll tell you now, Martin Berean, um would have been all over mm -hmm. this immediately. And and that, for the business, for the, the business of motorsport, I think is very, very important to give that opportunity for somebody to go, 
well, I can build a better mousetrap and I don't need to spend $200 million to do it. And in some ways, that's what you guys are putting yourself out there to do. Yeah, I, I, I would love – we want everybody to compete. We really do. Um, we've, you know, you know, Christian Koenigsegg we know and have worked with and I've been discussing competing. And the, the, more, the more people in this, the better for the sport, for the fans, um, for the uh, organizers of the race. I don't want to go out and just compete against ourselves. I want real competition. I really do. Um, and for, for us, the other thing for us, we're going out for this impossible dream. So our, our goal is to build a road legal car that's going to drive to Le Mans, race for 24 hours and drive home. Um, if the stars align and politics and everything aligns, do I believe we have a shot at winning first overall? Yeah, that is possible. Um, but for, for us to be able to do that and compete and finish is the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, and I think also for a lot of other small manufacturers, it would be wonderful to build cars that can go for 24 hours. Those are real, true sports cars. Yes. Um, so I agree. It's good for the, the industry. It's good for the fans. Uh, yeah. A couple of quick fire questions before I, I let you go. Um, Le Mans obviously is the overall goal, but that also means the World Endurance Championship. Uh, and that is because uh, it's unlikely that you're going to get a one-off entry to to uh, Le Mans. So presumably you're gearing up for the, the WEC as well? Yeah, we're committed to, to run the entire WEC, the 2020-2021 season, uh, including the 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, and in terms of the timeline of car development, clearly you have to wait for a, a finalised set of regulations to come out. We're told that they will go before the World Motorsport Council. Uh, it'll be no earlier than December this year uh, now. Um, and we hope that that is, is true. That gives you about a year. Is that enough to get a car designed, built, tested, on the track and in some kind of state to go out and go motor racing? That's a, that's a great question. Um, the first answer is that we are reading through and studying every page of the draft regulations very carefully as we speak um, to get as much information as we can. Uh, and we've actually already committed to start the preliminary um, basic engineering studies that we can based on the draft rules to try to get some ideas about the chassis. We believe that the race will begin uh, in the fall of 2020. So it'll be um, it'll be just under two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we have taken a blank sheet of paper and turned it into the 03C race car in 16 months. Wow. We took a blank sheet of paper and turned it into P45C in about the same period of time. Um, so we've done that a whole number of times. And or prepared to do it again. Uh, is it? Uh, do you still have Paolo, Paolo Guerrilla, uh, um, on on board? The the man who did such great work for you in the past and at Pinning Farina. Do you still have uh, Paolo on board? Uh, so we've worked with Paolo a whole uh, number uh, on a whole number of projects. Uh, right now, we're currently working with uh, Luca Cincetti Ooh. and Podium Technology. And Luca and Podium has been with us on the race engineering since P four or five competizione. It was actually Luca that did the uh, Kurs hybrid system that helped us win an FIA World Championship in 2012, uh, Champion Cup in Alternative Energies. So Luca has been with us, and his 
space engineering team since then, and we're working with Podium. Uh, we wish you all the best in this, Jesse. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I know how busy you must be at the moment, but you know how much our listeners enjoy the way that you go motor racing uh, in every sense of, of that particular statement. Pass on our best as a group to uh, to your dad and everybody else there and keep us in touch with what's going on, won't you? Um, we will absolutely keep you in touch. I will pass on my best. Uh, thank you very much to all your listeners and we will continue to share this crazy adventure. Thanks very much, Jesse Cameron, for joining us. Uh, the MD of uh, Scuderi Cameron Glickenhaus of Glickenhaus uh, Motor Vehicles talking to us about, well, all sorts there, and a lot to digest and already uh, getting good uh, a good response on at Specutainment uh, here this Wednesday evening, almost quarter to nine. Let's bring in Shea Adam uh, live on the line now from uh, South Florida. Good evening or good afternoon as it is to you, Shea. Hello, John. How are you? That's very exciting. How do you feel about uh, an American manufacturer recognised as an American uh, small volume manufacturer being the first to commit to the new hypercar regulations? Oh, it's mega. I mean, it goes back to the days of being able to build a car yourself, run it and race it and then try to win the greatest race in the world. It's a fantastic dream for anyone to have. And for a manufacturer like Scuderia Cameron Guckenhaus to come out of the U.S., try to go back to Le Mans and win it overall against the might of the people like Toyota who fought for so long against Audi and Porsche. It's something that gives Americans reasons to tune into sports car racing again. What what I got from that share was a a very grounded, genuine, sensible, eyes open approach to what is a business in some senses of the word, but not necessarily straight away a profitable business. Something that they are doing, if you want to call it like this, for the love of it. Yeah, there there wasn't any sort of this is how we're going to make a lot of money sort of thing. It was we already have the sponsors lined up. They know what they're getting into. They're going in with a mission to try and win the race, win the championship. Ultimately, you have to think. And they're well aware of what it's going to take to do that. So there shouldn't be any rude awakenings or big surprises. It's just a we're doing this because we want to. Cher Adam joining us on Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 43. David Tubrew saying, very interesting regarding Glickenhaus. Wish them the very best of luck. Uh, and, uh, well, well, we'll say exactly the same. Uh, they've got a couple of cars racing at Kota in the Hankook 24-hour share. So we've got an opportunity to catch up with the, the, the team there as well. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. They've got one running in the A6 Pro category. Uh, so they're going to be going up against the Mites of Herberth, which is Nick Damon's pick whenever it's a 24-hour yes. race. But that car, A6 Pro, will be Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus actually fielding the car themselves. And then there's one running in A6 Am. That's the light speed racing crew. They were testing at Coda not too long ago. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how the two cars can fare and how they do against all the competition. That's uh, a couple of weekends away. This weekend, of course, we have uh, IMSA Michelin Encore at uh, at Sebring. Uh, no major changes to the entry list, but uh, live coverage on RS2 IMSA Radio this weekend uh i'm I'm looking forward to that and 
Uh, we'll all the details are on imsa.com and on radiolamon.com. Um, let's talk to you about what happened uh, last weekend as far as US sport uh, was concerned, and that means NASCAR and the playoffs. Um, it was the Kevin Harvick show at Texas, wasn't it? <laughs> it's well, a bit other than running... pole position. Yeah, it's a bit of a running joke now, John. If I sit down and watch about 80% of a NASCAR race, Kevin Harvick's going to win it. I'm pretty sure that he and Dana need to start paying me to do this because it seems like the last six or seven times that I've done that with intent, Kevin Harvick has dominated the race, and he did. He won all three of the stages, including the final one, which meant the checkered flag in the race. He led 177 laps, so he was sitting pretty, uh, looked a little bit questionable. At one point, the race went to overtime, and they were saying, oh, is he going to pick the right line? Is he going to be able to get a clean restart? He did. It was easy. He crossed the finish line, and everybody's going, Kevin Harvick, you're going to Miami to race for the championship until today. Yes, because it's not. Uh, And this is, uh, I mean, this tells you just uh, how long it takes to go through post race tech as far as nascar is concerned um this is uh, rule 20.4.12 which is i think about rear spoilers isn't it yes and basically in a nutshell uh nascar are supposed to use the spoilers exactly as they receive them from the manufacturer it's one thing you are not allowed right. to alter in any way shape or form you can't play with it. You have to pretty much take it out of the box and bolt it onto the car. At the NASCAR Research and Development Center, they found something that they didn't like about this car. Okay. It was enough that they issued an L1 penalty, which is the most severe. Mm. They have docked Kevin Harvick 40, 40 wow. driver points, the same amount from the team. Now, it's Stuart Hot Racing for the four car only it's those team points so it's not Stuart haas as an entire organization it's a little bit more confusing the way they do it in nascar but the texas win does not qualify kevin for the final four in miami instead he's fourth out of eight in the standings and he's only three points above the transfer line Mm. yeah very very good but Uh, he's still classified as a winner he is but he can't use it in the case of a tiebreaker so if he comes up to a tiebreak with somebody else, say Chase Elliott, who has two wins previously in the playoffs and Kevin Harvick has zero, it would be Chase Elliott who gets through. The other big thing that they did was to penalize Rodney Childress and Robert Smith, the crew chief and car chief, respectively, for the number four car. They are suspended for Phoenix and Homestead, wow. which means that they can't be on premise and they cannot be in contact with the teams. They've had uh, issues in the past where people of important positions have been mm. suspended from the track and then you know, on the radio or on the telephone somehow to the people <laughs> on the box. That's not allowed this year anymore. And should also say that this was not the only L1 penalty handed out over the weekend. There was another one for pole sitter Ryan Blaney uh, and one also for Eric Jones. They both lose 20 driver points. Both of their team lose 20 points. And both of their crew chiefs were fined $50,000 and their car chiefs suspended for the final two races. Wow. The difference is those two guys are not going for the championship. All right. um, So what do the standings look like after all of that? Because that does make some changes. Because as you said, the win would uh, have put Harvick into the final four. It means the only thing we know, John, is that uh, Joey Logano is going to be running for the championship in two (laughs) weeks in Miami. 
because it's a free-for-all amongst the other seven. Okay. Kyle Busch is 28 points above the line. So unless he has a really, really bad weekend at Phoenix, he should be okay. Martin Truex Jr. is 25 points above the line. He's not as comfortable. Kevin Harvick, as I mentioned, three points above the line. He is sweating. Mm. Kurt Busch is three points down. Chase Elliott is 17 points down. It looks pretty bad for Clint Boyer and Eric Almirola. Boyer's 51 points and Almirola 35 points behind. So basically, they need a win to get in. Elliott could make it in if there's a bad race from either Kyle or Martin Truex Jr., but the bigger picture is we just really don't know until the checkered flag falls in Phoenix. Yeah, I, 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 if you had to put money on it, who would you be looking at at Phoenix? <laughs> well, here's here's the uh, ironic part. Uh, Kevin Harvick, if you would like me to watch the race, please call me now. one 800 call share to win Exactly. Uh, they, they go to Phoenix, which is a track he's pretty half-decent at. Nine cup wins out of 31 starts. So you're getting a Kevin Harvick who's fired up at the fact that he finally won a race for the first time since like July. And then he gets that taken away from him. He goes to the track where it's practically his best performance track. You're going to be pretty hard to hold him back. Um, Bit of other driver news. Uh, Joel Gibbs confirmed a couple of drivers this week. Pretty cool that um, we were expecting for a while because Furniture Row Racing announced a while ago that they were withdrawing from the sport Mm. a year after winning the championship, which meant that Martin Truex Jr. and his brilliant Canadian crew chief, Cole Pern, were going to be left without a home. There's an association that that team has with Joe Gibbs Racing, and they have formalized it in the shape that Martin Truex Jr. will be driving the 19 next year. That means, unfortunately... What's going to happen to Mr. Suarez? Because Daniel has done nothing wrong this year. He's had a really good, solid year. He's got a big fan following. The problem is, now he doesn't have a ride. And there are quite a few drivers who, going into 2019, have nothing. It's quite surprising. Uh, Including uh, Trevor Payne? Yep, with Roush Fenway now, not next year. AJ Allmendinger? Who's with JTD Doherty Racing? He's been announced as not returning. Kyle Bush. Uh, Kurt Bush, sorry. Uh, sorry, Kurt Bush, in. yep. Yeah, he's with Stuart Haas Racing. He is in the championship final. He does not have a contract for next year. Mm. Uh, is Casey Kane, what's he doing? Is he planning to retire? Yeah, he announced that at the end of the year, rather than try and find another ride, he's just going to call it a season. Right, okay. And somebody I won money on many years ago, Jamie McMurray. <laughs> did did he pay you to watch a race, John? Is that what happened? <laughs> it's a very long story involving Declan and uh, some of his family at uh, oh, when we went to Daytona in July for a for the July NASCAR race and the Paul Revere <laughs> uh, the Paul Revere sports car race. But anyway, let's. In fact, <laughs> it, it, I, well, I think that was when he was in second tier, actually, if I remember rightly. Uh, he's currently uh, where Chip Ganassi, isn't he? Chip Ganassi, yep. Mm. And the thought is that perhaps Daniel Suarez will move over to right. Chip Ganassi Racing, but we don't know yet. But you know how Chip likes to pick up those youngsters, and Jamie's been with him for a long time. It would be sad to see him shoved aside, but that's the name of the game. Um. Uh, Shit, Adam, joining us from uh, Florida at the moment. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 43. Dave Alcock uh, has said, uh, just nipping back to a couple of things, uh, wish Glickenhouse the very best, courageous being the first company to sign up 
to the hypercar rigs. I like how they go about competing and their dream is clearly to bring back the arrive and drive idea to the WEC in Le Mans. I think that, that's very reasonable as well. Uh, and thanks to uh, Jesse Glickenhouse, uh, Je- sorry, Jesse Cameron for uh, being on the show tonight, the managing director of uh, Cameron Glickenhouse. And we'll keep a very close eye on how that develops. GT3 plans uh, for the for that team as well as the road car plans that you heard about. So let's uh, let's keep an eye on that in the next few weeks at uh, Specutainment. Before we let uh, Shea go. Um, bit of excitement about uh, Virgin Australian supercars. The testing has begun on the 2019 Mustang, um, which isn't... Not a Mustang. Which I was about to say isn't quite the Mustang we were expecting. It looks to me as if somebody has tried to turn it into a car from the movie Cars, where they've (laughs) elongated the windshield to make the eyes really, really big. Because the lower part of the car looks like a Mustang, and then the roof just sticks way up in the air. So it's a it's a different looking car. But this they've... this there's a perfectly sensible. This is all at Queensland Queensland Raceway, uh, DGR team Penske and Ford Performance with uh, Scotty McLaughlin and uh, Fabian Fabian Coulthard were were driving this car. And they're they're going to have a go at Phillip Island as well. But there's a perfectly sensible reason for this year because it's running on a chassis that. Uh, is based on the four-door cars. Yeah, and uh, Ford Mustang, not a four-door car. But they've done a really good job to make the front and the back of the car look like a Mustang. So you sort of just have to take it with a grain of salt. And the most important thing is that Scotty McLaughlin seems to really love the new car. He was raving about it when they did their press release. and Not that I would expect otherwise, but that guy, he wears his heart on his sleeve. So if he wasn't fully happy with the way that the car feels he wouldn't be saying how pumped up he is for 2019 there is no other way of doing this at the moment because it will be competing against the current cars which of course aren't being built anymore in australia uh, the camaro is due to come out in this form as well and presumably will look something similar um, so for the short term at least we're going to have to get used to this sort of mustang Yeah, and honestly, I think it'll be a couple of races and people will be fans of it, especially once it's won a race. That's all it's going to take. And looking at the record of Scotty McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard and all the other four drivers in the Supercar Series, it's not going to take that long for the car to be beautiful when it's sitting in the victory lane. Uh, We'll catch up with all the action in uh, Virgin Australian Supercars uh, with uh, Shea and we'll try to get Creelsey on in the next couple of weeks as well because the action has been fast and furious in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Thank you, at least for the moment, to Shea Adam. Uh, Oh, oh, where are you tonight, Shea? Quick plug for where you're going because you've got a charity gig on, haven't you? Going to Drive It Like You Stole It 5. Drivers including Ryan Hunter-Ray, Tristan Nunez, Billy Johnson, my dad... I'm going to be out on track. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stephen McLear, uh, Radio Show Limited, friend for a long time. It's raising money for Special Olympics. So if you're in South Florida and you have nothing else to do, come to Extreme. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's a karting circuit where? Uh, It's off of Commercial and 95. At what town? Uh, It's Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. All right. That is really local to you. All right, Chip. Speak to you a bit later on. All right. Bye, John. Share Adam uh, and support that. Uh, Before... Nine o'clock, and just after nine o'clock, our nine o'clock interview is Jim Cameron from Mission Motorsport. They've got the big event this weekend. Uh, Angle, so you will go to two wheels. Tim, what do you have for us? 
A friend of mine works uh, in MotoGP. And, uh, Everybody's got a friend that works in MotoGP. Yeah. Uh, in between the Australian race at Phillip Island and the Malaysian race, uh, she spent a few days on the uh, tropical island of Bali, oh, having nice. a little holiday. Lovely. Lovely. Mm. Is that guess, a new story or just a bit of gossip? Guess who else was oh, okay. uh, on the tropical islands of Bali for th- Bali for those few days? Valentino Rossi. Uh, that's not the answer I have in front of me. Right. Uh, Carmelo Espaleta. Ah. And his son Carlos Espaleta. Ah. Uh, what were they doing? Just the having a holiday. CEO of Dorna. Mm. And uh, sporting director of MotoGP. Hmm, very interesting. Now, they might have been uh, having a nice break on a tropical island. Yes. Or they might have been visiting uh, the island of Lombok, where they're hoping to build a uh, racing circuit to host a MotoGP yes. race in the future. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, this is a rumour that's been gathering pace very quickly uh, over the last few weeks. Um, lovely part of the world to do it. Yes. But there's no circuit there right now? Not yet. No. Okay. Um, but they do want to go back to Indonesia. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that too. Despite the snakes. Um, <laughs> yes. I sniffed on a snake. Uh, maybe that's what happened to Valentino Rossi, who bossed uh, the early part of the race at the weekend until he had a very odd get-off at the first corner when he lost the back end, not even on the power, uh, turning in very, very odd indeed. He, he was under pressure. He was being... Uh, closed down, um, but very disappointing because for the first time for him, the Yamaha looked like it was manageable. Clearly not as manageable as we thought. But what we did find out is what 120,000 people in the grandstands and round the track actually looks like on race day. It was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did you see much of the race? I saw none of it. Ah, it was very good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We did uh, crown champions in Moto2 Moto3, didn't we? Yes, we did. Fire away. I don't know who they are. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to tell me. How annoying. Um, okay. Um, in uh, well, we we should first say um, that it was Mark Marquez who uh, was was the man who took advantage in MotoGP. Uh, uh, who went through to take it. In Moto2 at the weekend, Francesco Bagnaia is confirmed in... Val- I mean, Val- Valle had something to uh, get ha- happy about. The VR46 yeah. Sky Racing Team rider uh, won uh, the race at the weekend and is confirmed as the champion in Moto3. He's also confirmed to be moving to MotoGP next year with Bagnac, uh, with Pramac Racing. Yeah, a very interesting move, that. Uh, Jorge Martin for... Del Conce Grassini Moto3 racing uh, confirmed ahead of uh, Marco Bezzeschi and Fabio Di Giantonio uh, in second and third as it stands at the moment. But second place isn't over and done with yet. Uh, actually, I wonder if Battistini's close enough there. No, he's not. Uh, Do you know uh, what both of those champions have in common? Uh, no, but you're going to tell me, aren't you? Yes. Go on then. Uh, the tyres. Right. They are both drivers who are supported by Dunlop. Ah. Okay. And right. Seems reasonable. Um, riding in a championship that isn't Dunlop tyres, though. Uh, one of them is. Oh yes, that's right. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, the big talking point of the weekend, other than Valle falling off, of course, was Jorge Lorenzo not uh, riding. Uh, he. 
did uh, part of the race, uh, part of the race weekend, but didn't decided not to go in the race. And uh, from memory, it was Piro, wasn't it? Marco Piro who jumped in onto the bike, who did an all right job. He is uh, he he's got a broken collarbone, I think. Uh, sorry, no, he's got a broken wrist, hasn't he? Uh, which is uh, causing him problems. So, uh, sorry, not a broken wrist. He had a, uh, we reported this the other week, he had a an operation on the tendons in uh, the wrist area. Scaphoid something or other, I seem to remember it was. Uh, I'm not certain when he will be back. But of course, uh, uh, he hasn't had the greatest of season. Um, right, uh, hour two on the way, and it starts next. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Oh, dessert, dessert, that would be very nice I've indeed. Had some homemade fruit salad. Oh, had you? Uh, I wonder if there's any crumble left. Uh, <laughs> on the second hour of tonight's programme, Jeremy Shaw will be joining us looking back at. Uh, Team USA Scholarship for 2018. If we've got time, we'll get Shea back to talk a little bit more about some uh, more American news. We'll have your tweets, please, to at Specutainment. Uh, and a couple of bits and pieces to slide in as well. And Nick Damon uh, will be talking Formula One news. That's all in the second half of Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 43. But coming up next, at just after nine o'clock, it's this week's nine o'clock interview. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. The nine o'clock interview on Midweek Motorsport this week. A man who's no stranger to the airwaves of Radio Show Limited and coming up to his biggest weekend of the year for him and the organisation. The organisation is Mission Motorsport and our nine o'clock interview is Jim Cameron. Sir, first of all, how are you and how are the preparations going for this, the most important weekend of your year? <laughs> really good. And yes, thank you for just piling on the pressure there, John, as well. <laughs> Flaying ourselves. It, it, it is uh, it is but one weekend of our year. Um, of course, we're we're all year round, but it's a real focus, and it's such an effort for such a huge number of people, both staff, um, but just volunteers who then come around and want to make this ridiculous race uh, happen. You know, out, outside season and perched on the cliffs above the RSC, but it's uh, it, it just kind of works. The the event itself is extraordinary as anybody who's ever been there will tell you uh, and by that i mean the whole event not just the race but the service of remembrance for which the race um, traditionally has since its inception been interrupted and i i'd like to, to develop that in, in a moment but in some ways this is not really the race itself and what happens on the track is not the most important thing that's going to happen this weekend no, you're right. It's uh, it's incidental, um, but uh, yeah, you. Uh, it's a, a remembrance service with uh, with a 12-hour endurance race built around it, um, in order to give us all a good excuse to uh, uh, to take ourselves away to the end of the earth and, and go and uh, celebrate and to um, and to respect remembrance um, in a in a truly unique value, but and in and in a very motorsport kind of way. The motorsport community comes together to 
uh, to to reflect on what this year coincides with with the hundredth anniversary of the armistice. So um, uh, it, it's going to be extraordinary when we when we fall silent on the eleventh of the eleventh. It will be a uh, hundred years uh, to the moment from the uh, the armistice being signed, and and that's that's pretty poignant, I think, this year. At a time when here in the UK, and I accept our international listeners might not be across this as 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 we are here, when remarkably, given all of the build-up to this, which has basically started since the hundredth anniversary of the start of the First World War, and that's tremendously um, difficult conflict for everybody involved. Mm. Um, Once again, we are seemingly being bombarded with people who don't understand or choose not to understand the significance of this uh, in a broader sense, away from motorsport, and particularly the significance of the poppy. And and I find that slightly distressing and, and rather disappointing, Jim. As a as a, a man who served his country, as a man who's led troops into battle, what's your take on that? I think we've all got a bit of a responsibility to just to help educate people so that they can understand. I think um, it, it is easy for, for those who don't have that kind of background to just reflect when they see the poppy and the sort of people who sort of would tend to observe it to to get the wrong end of the stick and think, hey, this is, this is about the glorification of war. Um, but I I can think of no greater pacifist than those who've actually been and fought um, and their families as well. And it's uh, and it's helping people to understand that, look, this isn't about the glorification. This is about recognising the incredible sacrifices that were made, not just on the battlefield, but, you know, by by people throughout the country. And we run a rehabilitation organisation, a charity, which is all about helping those whose lives have been affected by military operations and um, that modern generation of, of guys and girls, you know, from who've come through Iraq and Afghanistan, um, but their families as well, because I don't think you need to have been to any of these places in order to have been, have your life significantly impacted by uh, by the conflicts which have happened there. And uh, ours, ours is not to comment on the politics of it. It, it is simply to reflect on the the human uh, toll that has been that has been taken through those. And really, uh, as humanists, to really do our utmost in order to be able to support those people and those families who've uh, who've come through who've come through extraordinary things. And and this year, we're doing it in a bigger and better way than we ever have before. Well, it's it's become bigger and better every time you've you've run this event. To be honest, Jim, and uh, I've I've got to tell you that the sight of um, medals on Normex race suits is mm. one of the most moving things that I've ever seen. And you made the point that this is a remembrance service with a race around it. Uh, and and that has been so important for quite a number of your early beneficiaries and continuing through with uh, the lads and lasses who, who come through and, and get the benefit of being part, in, in a part of Mission Motorsport. Because for some of them, this is a very, for all of them, it's a very difficult time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for, I mean, I was just having a conversation with um, uh, with, with part of the committee, and it, it, I should make it really clear, Mission Motorsport does not run Race of Remembrance. We're, we're an armed forces charity. Uh, and indeed, actually, I think, you know, when it was first suggested that, you know, we could hold a a, a major endurance race, you know, at, in November in Anglesey, 
I, I rather thought it was akin to sort of, you know, Guernsey launching a space programme, you know, that it's uh, that it was a, a ridiculous idea. Um, it's a it's a group of volunteers that make it happen. And that committee does extraordinary stuff underpinned by some fantastic support from the circuit. And without them, you know, it would never have even been conceived of. Bark do an amazing job at delivering an incredibly professional race. But um it's all of the volunteers that then come together and the beneficiary audience that we bring yet. There's a lot of racers who are racing. I think, you know, every, every year we have more guys racing. We're incredibly excited this year that, you know, that's, that's getting broader still. And we'll sort of talk about that in a minute, but there is one of the husbands of a marshal. Um, it turns out was serving in the army at the time of the Enniskillen bombing. And he um, was a bugler and, had since witnessing that atrocity been unable to make his way all the way through a Ravalli or a last post until race of remembrance last year and he bugled for race of remembrance and was part of that service and that was the first time that he'd ever been able to make it all the way through to be able to hold the note to be able to do it as you see people step up we'll have beneficiaries who will be attending a remembrance service and it's the first time since they've been witnessing a repatriation of, of one of their fellows um, being repatriated from, from Afghanistan with a flag over the coffin. And they'll, they'll stand side, side by side together and support each other in order to get, get, get through this. It, it's, it's, quite, it's quite incredible. It's a, it's a really poignant thing. And you're right, John, it's really hard to describe until you stand there oh. and you go, oh, God, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, let, let's talk about the benefits that this brings there's clear benefits in terms of the rehabilitation that mission motorsport provides the opportunity for rehabilitation and and you and i on this program indeed have talked before whether that's physical or mental or, or, or both mm. um that's that's clear to see that, that that people are getting great benefit but you can't do that without finances so presuming presumably then this is raising finance for what Mission Motorsport does for the other 360-odd days of the year. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that uh, uh, Race of Remembrance is a, is a fundraising exercise. I mean, to be honest, we, we look at it first and foremost as recovery activity. Mm-hmm. We'll put, and this year, we have got um, over... 60 beneficiaries are taking part in this wow. from, from one one shape and form or the other you know on our facebook page at the moment there's a beautiful image of chris harris driving the first generation poppy car in 2015 you know chris harris now top gear journalist and racer um but that was taken by a guy who really struggles to get out of the house really struggles to engage with things ed millership and he and his wife pat come along to race of remembrance and for him that is a culmination of his year um and it's something that he struggles to access we have a team of occupational therapists who led by Anne segalini who's the new head of occupational therapy at the national new national rehabilitation center that as headley court becomes stanford hall um uh Anne's team are uh, allowing this to be possible for a whole bunch of beneficiaries who, who just simply wouldn't be able to access that kind of thing um but the the really exciting thing is um, they've they've got an extra occupational therapist who's joining this year, and she's just come across from the States. They flew in last night, and she's the wife of um, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran uh, who is called Liam Dwyer. And uh, Liam 
um, I was with him this morning, and Mazda and Mazda Speed's commitment in the US to help our um, friends from on the other side of the Atlantic to to be able to lean into this is a really exciting feature this year as, as we're going to have Liam on the grid and driving. Uh, and that is... I mean, listeners to IMSA Radio know Liam very well. We've commentated on him winning races. We've had him in the booth. Um, massive supporter of him and what he's done um, both in his military career uh, and also in his motor racing career and I use that word advisedly because he's become uh, a more than proficient racing driver who Mm. gets his seat um, as all Mission Motorsport beneficiaries do gets it on merit Um, and Mm. whether that's going behind the wheel of a steering wheel or, or going into the world of work, um, they they all get there on on merit, and this branching out into the international thing that's that's really big news for for race of remembrance and and I think Jim, you know, going back those what nearly ten years, ten years since you and I first talked together, it it is bringing together a host of like-minded operations around the world, and it's it's only right and proper, surely. That our yeah. allies, allies across the pond, who you will have fought with and served with, um, that now you know they are the, the the people who have taken the concept and run with it. It's not going to be exactly the same, but it's developing into something that people can get behind as something that's bigger than one country, one event, several events. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I reflect on a on my military career, and I, you know, we trained alongside our allies. Um, we we fought alongside them, and it's only natural that we're together in recovery, and we share those those learnings, that experience, um, that, that that emotion, as as much as we can, in order to help spread that best practice. And to uh, Operation Motorsport was formed by um, you know a, a couple who were absolutely inspired. Um, uh, Diesel and Tiff, you know, who work for him, so um, came across to. Um, visit Race of Remembrance for the first time. You know, Diesel is a, a Canadian uh, ex-paratrooper. Um, you know, and Tiffany has, has um, you know, followed him, supported him throughout that career. You know, she she did fantastic things in her civilian career in order to support service causes. And they came to Race of Remembrance two years ago and were just bowled over, you know, just absolutely inspired by it. And from that, um, Operation Motorsport uh, has then very much formed. And you know, it's our responsibility as hosts to help them to um, uh, to access the, that incredible event, but also the broader learnings of the mistakes and the successes that we've had yes. in order to be able to help them shortcut and learn from from our experiences in order that they can adapt it to the to their own unique context and and, and work out what what helps them and helps their beneficiaries. But uh, we are we're all together in the we're all together in the pit lane. We've got. <laughs> Some uh, some fantastic sort of composite teams that then get made up by these these guys and girls, um, and there's an absolutely great bunch of Canadians and Americans who are going to be joining us this year. I'm I'm pleased you've integrated them because I think it might have got a little too competitive if you kept all the nationalities split up. You might be allies and comrades, but uh, all's fair on the, out on the racetrack. I, I know <laughs> that from 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 my own experience. Um, there, there is a bit of that, but you watch you watch things like the Invictus Games, you oh, know, yeah. and you realise just actually how fantastic that camaraderie and that sporting spirit is. Yes. Um, but yeah, very much so. They're, uh, they're, they're they 
they're integrated. So we, I mean, we've, we've just got a fantastic, cause we're going to be running, you know, when it all drops into place, a, a master global cup car, um, running a sequential box in order to allow Liam, who's, who's re- still recovering from osseo integration surgery, um, to be able to race alongside a uh, parachute regiment veteran called Andy Jones, who um, his first race uh, was, you know, this time last year. Um, and since then, so inspired, he's changed his life completely. He's, he's uprooted, left his job in London, moved his family out to Cornwall and now does a job which is helping veterans into employment in physical training um and paul vice who his first race ever was race of remembrance last year he also is a left leg amputee like liam and vicey you know the marine who's hardest to kill i think was the documentary that was made about <laughs> him right. it's on youtube go and have a look he's he's absolutely well a he's barking but he's also done um, Invictus Games racing all of this last year, so he raced in Spa. You know, he's he's been doing GT4 in the uh, in the um, uh, Jaguar F-Type GT4s that were built by James Webley, another Mission No Sport thing. It, it, it's just fantastic, and he's gone on this incredible journey as well. So we've got a Royal Marine, a British parachute regiment guy, and a US Marine Corps veteran all in one car, and that's just great. It's going to be it's gonna except. Be the only thing I'm going to say about that is those guys break things. It is test- <laughs> it'll be tested to destruction, that poor little global cup car. That's the only thing. And I say that with much love, much love. Yes. If, if anything oh, yeah. can survive Marines and paratroopers, it's pretty well put together. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the, the actual logistics in the race in the moment. But before we get onto that, I want you just to give me, and, and I know this is not the whole story, but just give me and our listeners some stark numbers in terms of how many people Mission Motorsport is helping, has helped, and where that is going in the next 12, 18, 24 months. Sure. We, since we were formed in the 1st of March 2012, so we, we are only six and a half years old, um, we've seen... 1,500 beneficiaries come through our doors, wounded, injured, or sick. Um, we have directly uh, been able to place over 130 wounded, injured, and sick guys and girls into employment. Um, and the the really exciting piece has been how, through working with partners, through being able to influence and help industry to access talent leaving the services, we know that we've put more than 1,700 veterans into employment uh, and that's really since the first Invictus Games in September 2014 so it's been it's been amazing and what we you know the challenge for us now is to take those lessons those learnings and to uh, spread that out as a wider initiative to help it go across more of UK automotive uh, to take it out of manufacturing to allow it to get out into the retailers in order that um, this group of people of exceptional talent have got the opportunity to find a level playing field and uh, find careers after the services. And those extraordinary numbers, by the way, are UK alone for Mission Motorsport. That doesn't include anything that's going on with any of the satellite offshoot or inspired organisations that have that have come post that. Um, more than a small golf clap for that and the rest of the team. Uh, uh, Jim and I know you've got a, a strong you. team, a strong team behind you. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, and I make no, uh, no bones about saying it again. We have a commitment to our armed forces. Um, you guys go off and 
do the things that we don't want to have to think about too much and sometimes some of you come back in not the way we sent you out and it's it's our job mm. to make sure that uh, that that isn't forgotten about uh, and, and that's the covenant that we have with our armed forces and you guys are doing such a lot of work to to keep that to keep that real and keep it keep it happening um there is a race this weekend as you say almost mm. inc- incidental except for anybody who takes a class trophy, obviously, because that would become very, very important. It's become very, very competitive over the last few years. And it's a proper endurance race, Jim. It's a proper endurance race on a circuit that, on the face of it, perhaps doesn't look like an endurance circuit, but actually works really well for endurance, Anglesey. It's it's just it's fantastic. It really is. Um, and we don't help ourselves. You know, it's the hundredth anniversary this year, so you're the guys who are hearing it first because you'll see it before the competitors. We our class trophies are eighteen pounder shells recovered from World War One battlefields, no. but but the heroes trophy is an absolute belter. It's uh, it's almost like a, a bit of uh, uh, you know I, I think if you remember Indiana Jones trying to pick out the Holy Grail. Um, you know, which which is the one that you like the most? And there is a battered 18-pounder shell, which is the Heroes Trophy this year, which is for the proper car, not a relay entry, right. uh, with a team running it that, that that is in the front at the end, within within the class structure. Um, that's going to be that's going to be one. But it's it was actually recovered from the seabed where a uh, British ship had been sunk by a U-boat um, in 1918, April 1918. And uh, and this 18-pounder shell has laid on the seabed for all of that time, and it's been brought up. It's uh, it's got the most extraordinary history to it. And then that's the class trophy you're racing for. People get quite serious about this stuff. <laughs> they they lean into it. And we've got we've just got some fantastic classes this year. The lightweights of uh, Caterhams and Lotuses, I think you know, are going to be the quickest things around there. Um, again, uh, you've got some fantastic um, Mazdas as always, Mark Fours, Mark Threes. There's some good Mark 1s. I think we've got a bunch of Scottish minis that have come down from north of the border that are, are going to be um, uh, that'll be great fun around there, and particularly in the wet. Of course, the front-wheel drive stuff will always um, will always do rather well. There's an extraordinary-looking CRV that some bunch of lunatics have entered again, um, uh, <laughs> which which we're responsible for. Um, uh, yeah, full of uh, full of amputees, including Britain's greatest military Paralympian. You know, so that, that's going to be bounding around the track again. And, and again, you know, when it gets wet, that thing's dangerously quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, C1s, just as we've seen the proliferation and the success of the C1 endurance racing in the UK, um, I think C1 is the single largest class which we have. And Brilliant. Again, we'll have a Mission Motorsport car which is running in that as well. Yeah, that's on my list for next year, doing a C1 race. It's taking off like wildfire. Jim, I'll let you go. Thank you very much. Uh, You know you always have our support here uh, at Radio Show Limited and indeed some of our lads and lasses will be uh, at Anglesey uh, this weekend. In the midst of all this, I I know this is slightly... um, uh, I don't really need to say this to you, but please do enjoy it because it is an event that needs to be respected, but it also needs to be enjoyed and, and pass on... My personal best to everybody there. Unfortunately, I'm I'm in Sebring this weekend, but my heart will be with you guys and girls at Anglesey. Thank you very much indeed, John. And for anyone who doesn't want to listen, John, over the course of the weekend, you have got an alternative <laughs> of listening to a hard-fought race from the uh, from the clifftops of uh, yeah, the very edge of Wales. And thank you so much again to the support of the radio show and Radio Le Mans for giving us the opportunity to be able to let that reach a much wider audience and uh, yeah we're looking forward to seeing Nick Damon and the team um, at the weekend 
Yeah, thanks, uh, Jim. Uh, our pleasure. Always, always, always on that. Nick Damon, along with Diana Binks and Johnny Palmer for the first time at the Race of Remembrance at the weekend. Check RadioLamont.com for uh, the... Uh, for the time schedule uh, for that. We're going to do a bit of vision for you as well, which is why Nick is uh, is going up there. Um, you listen to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, Series 13, Episode 43, and on a packed programme tonight, we're heading back to the United States, this time to the left-hand coast, and saying good evening to my uh, IMSA radio colleague, Jeremy Shaw. Good afternoon, as it is to you, Jeremy. It is, John. Actually, you're right. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you ha- else happen to be. Yes, that is the thing about global broadcasting. Um, Liam, Liam, Dwi- Liam, Dyer, uh, Liam Dwyer, on that uh, on that race at the weekend, you and I know of Liam's exploits in uh, in IMSA competition. He'll be a doughty competitor in, in Anglesey this weekend and uh, uh, good to see him back in a racing car. Very happy about that. Uh, Jeremy, um, you have just... Yeah, you're breaking up. I hope you can hear me. Yes, perfectly. Shall I actually... I'll tell you what I'll do, Jeremy. Let me switch lines on you because uh, it is just a a little bit uh, breaking up. We had a lovely um, connection with... uh, with Shea Adam a wee while ago, but uh, let's change machines and see if that uh, makes any any difference to uh, getting Jeremy up. Uh, Tim Gray still up in London, and uh, he's got some questions for Jeremy once we uh, get him back. The internet really not playing uh, ball with us for uh, a moment or two. Uh, I'll try that again in a moment. We seemingly lost Jeremy uh, for the moment. Uh, Tim, uh, this weekend we haven't got an entry list for the race of remembrance yet, but we're promised no. lots of uh, lots of excitement. Yes, as uh, Jim said, lots of uh, cars entered. Uh, just uh, want to know who's in them. Yes, Jeremy Shaw is back with us now. I think is that better, Jeremy? Yeah, well, probably not from uh, from your end, but I can hear you now. I don't know. I've no idea what happens. I'm on, I'm on my phone now. So oh no, that's is. perfect. You're you're absolutely perfect uh, to us. Um, let's let's talk about uh, the Team USA scholarship uh, for this year. And before we talk about what the guys achieved while they're over here. Tim Gray has a very important question for you. Mr. Gray, ask away. Hello, Jeremy. This is a question that I've been meaning to ask you for several weeks because you've said before that this year was one of the closest um, sets of uh, finalists and the most difficult for you to choose. So what was it about these two drivers that made you pick them above the others? Uh, the whole package. I mean, they were fast. They were personable. They were willing to learn. I mean, they were just sponges. And you know, John met them uh, when they came when he when they were in the UK last week, I think, and uh, he was impressed. And everybody that I've come across, when, you know, I was over there for the festival, and you know, everybody they met there was was really impressed. And um, you know, that, that's why because they were um, they were just really really good young guys who, who really wanted to do this and were clearly going to get something out of it and you know, make the most of the opportunity how how, yeah, how much as we, as i said um and what go on sorry jeremy how how much is attitude um 
a part of that decision then as much as driving talent is clearly you know from from the times and I, and I know how hard you agonized over that because the data that came out of particularly the road america test the last test that you did with the guys uh, all of the competitors were so very close so is it is it then attitude that makes the difference and, and potentially personality yes very much so i mean you know these days you've got to be able to raise the money if you don't have the money yourselves yourself and you've got to raise the money you've got to find somebody who's willing to pay the bills and if you haven't got the right attitude that's not going to happen so yes it's hugely important and it's it's always been a factor in, in my in my decision making right from the very very beginning but it's it's there's no doubt that it's much more important now than it was back you know 30 years ago when we started this thing well if um uh, uh... Michelle Dempsey is anything to go by. She reckons they were they were the nicest two guys ever to come through into the UK, and yeah. she knows of of what she she speaks. Um, let's let's talk about the three race weekends that they did, Jeremy. You you added a new wrinkle this year with the guys getting a run out in the British National Formula Four Championship at Donington Park before going on to the um, Formula Ford Festival and then the the Walter Hayes Trophy. Um, how did you feel that it went for the guys and, and do you feel they've learned? Oh, they've learned massively, absolutely massively. J- Jake uh, sent out a blog this morning. He got back on 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 Monday night. Uh, he sent out a, a, a blog this morning and, um, and Colin's going to be doing one next couple of days as well. And you know, he learned, they learned a huge amount. They learned about racecraft. They learned about track conditions, learning you know, learning different tracks, working with an engineer. Um, for, for some of them, you know, for, for for both of them, really, they haven't. They've done a little bit of that before, but it's a, it's a completely different environment in the UK, and so uh, the, the learning curve was huge, and that you know, they came came away from that, you know, just more well well more well rounded as people as well, because you know they had to interact. I, w- I was there for the first weekend, so well the middle weekend, effectively the Walter the uh, Formula Ford Festival. So I was able to point them in the right direction when I was there. But other than that, they've been fending for themselves. And, you know, that's really, really important. They've got to learn to stand on their own two feet. Uh, you know, they're going to make some some decisions that might not not be the best. Uh, but anything I can do to help them make the, the, the better decisions is is what I'm trying to do. The, the results, um, Jeremy, into how, you know, how important are the results in, in all of this? It's nice to get good results, but is it about the experience more than anything else? Absolutely, it is. Yeah, you know, when they go over, they go over there. They're racing against people who've been, you know, racing Formula Ford cars for, you know, some sometimes fifteen or twenty years, or in Rick, Rick Morris's case, nearly fifty years, for goodness <laughs> sake. Um, and uh, you know, it's brilliant. So, you know, to, I mean, both of them were running right with the leaders from virtually from the moment they got there, or certainly the first the first time they raced that that weekend at Donington before they went down to Brands Hatch for the Formula Ford Festival. Jake finished second. Colin, I think, was fifth or sixth in in the final race of that weekend, and you know Jake was was absolutely with the leaders. He 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 was dicing all the three events. Funnily enough, he was dicing with with Joey Foster. Well, Joey Foster's won the Formula Four wow. Festival. He's won the Hayes three times. He's driven Formula Three three cars, sports cars, you name it. Uh, you know, a very very accomplished driver. And uh, so to be running right with Joey right from the from the beginning in wet and dry conditions says a lot, I think, about uh, about about Jake. Now, Colin was able to match him pr- pretty much on pace. The really unfortunate, the only really unfortunate thing for for the both of the kids was they kept on getting really bad draws. Um, all, all their heat races at both the festival and the Hayes were really tough draws. I mean, they were 
in each of their cases, four other guys who were like you know, potential contenders for the victory. Some of the other heat races were a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, less stacked. And that's just a luck of the draw. You know, there's, there's no no criticism intended there. That's just a luck of the draw. So they were a little bit unlucky with that. And then also they kept on getting drawn against each other as well. So yes. even though they're running kind of the same pace, uh, you know, they were they were always sort of shuffled in with other guys depending on how they how they progressed through the the systems that the, the Hayes and the festival have. You know, it, it was it was brilliant all the way around. And but you know, with a little bit of good fortune, they they would have, no question, have been challenging for the wins on both weekends. And you know, that says a lot about them and, and about Cliff Dempsey racing, of course. Well, yeah, and Cliff and Michelle run a very, very tight ship indeed. I was talking to Michelle about their plans. They've already started talking about next year and who they're going to be running. And good to see Formula Ford um, in the UK, at least, Jeremy, still in relatively rude health. Absolutely rude health. You know, there were, there were 70 cars, I think, at the at the festival. There were 100 at the um, at the Walter Hayes. Um, you know, and, and at each of those two events, there were at least 15 or 20 guys who you'd say, yeah, he's very capable of winning this race, uh, and a whole bunch more who who are capable of finishing in the top five. So, uh, I, you know, Formula Ford still for me, even after 50 years offers the best value for money for youngsters starting out in the sport. You don't have to worry about broken wings because they don't have wings. Um, so all you've got to do is worry about suspension bits that might get bent here and there. Uh, and so, you know, they are, even if you have an incident of some sort, they're relatively cost effective. And that's really important for kids starting out. And with the wheel to wheel racing, you, you, you just, you, you learn so much. It's absolutely superb. Uh, and particularly for a driver, well, both your drivers this year, both Jake and Colin, but Colin um, with relatively uh, short, both lads with re- relatively small amount of experience. Colin, we've seen this year in what was this year, the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, driving a front wheel drive mini. I mean, he was so young, he couldn't even do the first couple of rounds uh, of that. <laughs> and he, he's taken to, to this like a duck to water. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? Really impressive. And um you know, I, he, he, he certainly exceeded my expectations. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I picked him initially to be part of the process because I could see some ability there, but um, he, he really has, has stood out from a craft for one, for one so young and with such you know, relative little uh, racing experience. Yeah, massively impressive. Um, and Jake, too, he just had a one-year racing in, yes. in, in F1600 in Canada this year. So, you know, he's probably got maybe... 25 races under his belt before he came over there in anything other than carts so uh, you know they they're, they're both good guys it's great smashing job again jeremy you do such a great job for the uh, the u.s uh, talent uh, road racing talent coming through and you have done for so many years now at team usa doing a, a cracking job which you can't do without the support of your sponsors so please give them a mention well thanks yeah i mean there's so many people that make it possible uh, you know, the main ones would be the Road Racing Drivers Club. Bobby Rahal's the president there. Brian Redman, it was actually, though, that uh, that started this association 20-odd years ago with the RRDC when he was president. Uh, Safe is Fast is, is one of the names we carry on the car. That's the RRDC initiative. And if, you, if you're not familiar with, with safeisfast.com, go check it out because it's a fabulous resource for anybody looking to get into motor racing. And not just as a driver either, is it? It's There's a, no, a wealth of information that's great. Uh, Mazda's been a long-time supporter. Honda's helped out. Doug Mockett, 
uh, and Chris Locke, who are two vintage Formula One racers and, and arch enthusiasts. You know, they've been brilliant for, for many, many years now. Chip Ganassi, uh, his team helps out. Um, Chris Dyson. Um, the, the, there's and even Team Penske from time to time as well. It, it's brilliant, and, and quite a few, you know, old 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 scholarship winners as well, older scholarship winners. Uh, Andy Lally, Dane Cameron, you know, they've been chipping a little bit of money here here and there for the last few years. It's it's brilliant to see some of these guys giving back, and that, I think that just shows the, the kind of the caliber of the guys we're able to pick because they are willing and uh, and want to uh, to help the youngsters coming up and following in their footsteps it's brilliant. yeah magic stuff and I, I i've i've enjoyed watching what you do with it and meeting the guys down through the years and i, and I think you've got a, another good couple of lads this year before i let you go jeremy obviously we i'll see you at the weekend at sebring i'm looking forward to this uh, extracurricular activity that we have in florida this weekend first chance to see the michelin tires on um most of the cars that will be running them uh, next year in the michelin encore that'll be on rs2 imza radio a um, quick word for, from you about um, about IndyCar. Some interesting news from IndyCar and about their international broadcasting. Um, they're taking it under their own wing um, uh, from now on uh, and, and doing the international distribution uh, themselves. I mean, you were inextricably linked, as far as in my mind, and, and many people over here in Europe will be concerned, with you and Ben Edwards, with the uh, the international feed of, of IndyCar down down through through the years. Uh, IndyCar beginning to spread its international wings again, and is and is this the right time and, and the right sort of thing for them to be doing? Uh, I think it's the right time, uh, and I'm sure that they'll make sure they get the right people there to, to pull it off. You know, that was uh, that was a big part of of uh, cart. Champ Car, IndyCar's progression through the 80s and 90s, particularly in 90s, um, was was expanding their TV coverage. They, you know, they ran everything in house. They had some really, really good people who, who got, you know, made sure that IndyCar was seen around the world. I think 195 countries we were we were broad, broadcasting to when Ben and I were doing it. It was it was huge, and it was it was really exciting to be part of it. And I think these are exciting times for IndyCar right now. There's a lot of interest about the series, and uh, this is definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, as long as it's done properly and i have no reason to think that it won't be uh jeremy thank you very much well done with the team usa boys and i'll, I'll see you and tammy at the weekend in florida thanks mate so happy travels look forward to seeing you there it's yeah. gonna be a fun weekend i'm oh, really looking forward to it thanks jeremy jeremy Shaw joining us uh, live there uh, from uh, california i've just uh, another indycar story as well really okay yeah, from the circuit of the americas right yes uh, they've announced that uh, the uh, indycar race uh, will be supporting a concert by muse <laughs> surely that should be the other way around shouldn't it maybe uh, Only one supported uh, Britney Spears. Well, though, so. that that is true. I think that probably was the right way, right way around on that. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 43. And on the subject of Formula One. Very good. I see what you did there. No Nick Damon this week. So earlier on, uh, he's he's travelling. I think he's in Scotland around about now. He's doing his British tour. He's hoping he's in Belgium. He was in Belgium at the weekend. I think he's in Scotland tonight, um, today and tonight. He, mm. He's everywhere at the moment. He's doing his European tour. Um, I managed to catch up with him earlier in the week to get his uh, his thoughts on some of the Formula One stories. Now, that was before that the Vietnam story that we talked about earlier on this week. So, at the time that we were talking, the big news was about Team Awful Williams and Rob Smedley uh, leaving the team. And I suggested to him that that might be the big F1 story of the week. Medium ranking uh, engineer lead team that's had appalling season. 
um, especially when the meeting ranking engineer's career has been very closely linked to a driver who also left them a year ago. So, yeah, I, mean, I get the impression it's, a, it's as amicable as these things can be. You've got a very nice write-up and a proper press release. And they, 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 when they fired a couple of the other guys, the, the aerodynamicist and the chief engineer, they got a Fred is leaving uh, message rather than a lovely little profile picture and a, obviously official press release going out to the, pre- to the, to the various motorsport media. So I, I think it's very amicable. I think, you know, it's probably not much fun being at Williams these days. Uh, Rob is a very talented engineer, but obviously he's from the gang that's probably tarred with some of these problems. And of course, you know, it, it's, it's always advantageous to keep firing people like that because it takes the pressure off Paddy Lowe, who was obviously supposed to be the messiah of, um, of F1 when he came in to, to rescue Williams or take over a more senior of Williams a couple of years ago, and so far has seen the, them engage reverse spectacularly. So his neck is next on the chopping block, but he's bought himself a bit of time by uh, shuffling the, uh, the papers beneath him. You mentioned uh, Massa and the close uh, relationship that Rob Smedley and, uh, and Felipe Massa have had, Dan, through the years. Uh, Felipe is off to do Formula E. Is that where Rob's going as well, then? Um, it wouldn't be entirely surprising. Um, and there is quite a lot of, um, you know, uh, what's the word, zeitgeist behind Formula E at the moment. They're, they're looking for quality engineers, as they are for quality drivers. And I'm pretty certain that he would fit in very well there. Um, at least he'll be starting off with a car that's basically the same and not, you know, two seconds behind everyone else. Um, though of course, there are still some, some software differences and some uh, powertrain differences, but at least you're almost there or thereabouts with the car. So uh, perhaps you feel you can make more of a difference. Yeah, perhaps it is the same. It will attract engineers. I think they can make a big difference. Um, and, you know, I think Felipe, if he's, if he's got his, um, his, his uh, uh, motivated head on, I think he'll be a very good driver in that, in that, in that uh, formula. Is there not a chance he might go somewhere else? Uh, Smedley, this is might go somewhere else in in Formula I, One. I, I think particular for for yeah, India. I don't know. He'd be on a six month gardening leave. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, you know, obviously, what will happen is you know, either about ten past nine on, six, on the evening hang on, show. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Six six months gardening leave. Because what? In case he tells them all the secrets of William's success. Well, he tell them what to avoid doing. Well, okay. Don't, don't employ don't employ um, two pay drivers. Uh, don't do no, this. Okay. Don't just you know. It's, no, but it's in all seriousness, yeah, that he wouldn't. I I just you know, and sometimes I have been proven wrong. But I just get the impression from the way things are being written, the way things are done. It's a kind of a, a, you know, my contracts. I've, I've had enough of F one for now. Not, I'm not saying he won't come back forever, but I'd be very surprised if his next hop, if it's like a quick one, is F one. Okay, fine. Uh, other couple of stories to get your thoughts on as well. Um, McLaren lead yes. every other Formula One team in one super important thing, according to their press release this week. Do you know what it is? Uh, test drivers, uh, no. youth development. No, I've no idea. They are the first Formula One team to have more than three million followers on Twitter. Well. You know, that that reads it all, doesn't it? That's always presuming that uh, you think that they're all real people and they haven't bought a whole load of followers. Um, however, the other um, big McLaren's story, the real big McLaren story... Shock! It, <laughs> McLaren have, 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 have both bots. Yes, exactly. Uh, McLaren have signed a, a new f- reserve driver who's taking on a test and development role. But war betide, you should call him a test and development driver. He is no. F1 reserve. And he is uh, the young man 
who is Sergio Sete Camara, who yeah, has good, been good. doing F2 quite well, actually. Good day for F2. A good, good year for F2 drivers. There's a, there's a lot of promotions going on. We've already got uh, George Russell and uh, Lando going straight in the team. We think we have uh, Inter Formula One. So we think we have Alexander Albon as well. Um, so it's been uh, suddenly the, the uh, it, I think in, to paraphrase um, young Mister uh, Declan Brennan, you know, feeder series shock, feeder series news, feeder series working as a feeder series. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I, I think that there's, there there is a bit of a, uh, a not only a change in the guard, a little bit of a agreed acceleration of, of bringing some of these guys up. Um, whether they'll now be doing nine years and, and prevent everyone else be interesting. But there's a there is a good turnover. I'm getting a good number of rookies through the last two or three years. So it's it's an interesting thing. I think it's a I say semi changing the guard. Um, you know, test driver is test driver, isn't it really? It's, it's test and development. Is it reserve? Is it what is it? You know, and it's. And by the way, your title is very important. Do you know that? Yes, you because found I that was, out much was, to your chagrin, didn't you? I, know, I, was on, I was on the I was on the podium doing the Formula Three podium at Silverstone, and they had and, and some of the um, uh, uh, trophies been presented by George Russell, and some of them have been presented by Nikita, Nikita Mazepan. And Nikita Mazepan was down as te- as a test driver for uh, Force India, and George was down as reserve driver for. Mercedes AMG and when I announced because my brain is old and ran the wrong way that George was the test driver for Mercedes AMG he was very quick to uh, to correct me he was the reserve driver um, and uh, and obviously I, I made sure I got that announcement completely correct uh, on the roster so it's obviously a very important difference between the reserve driver and the test driver um, um, what, got, sorry go on He's got quite twinkly eyes so I kind of went yeah whatever you say George alright okay uh, what has Formula uh, what has uh, Red Bull uh, <laughs> called backwards? Sorry? What, the, what has... What are they called uh, backwards? Sorry, what has Formula One's World's fuel supplier uh, called backwards in uh, Formula One? Oh, at the oil... We can do about oil burn again. This is, is our weird, this, really, because this uh, is our friend. This is our big friend, David Surasaki, who's global motorsports technology manager of Exxon Mobil, who's been on our airwaves quite a lot. He says that he thinks the limit that allows an engine to burn uh, more than half a litre of oil per hundred kilometres is massively out of kilter with what's <laughs> acceptable in road cars. I, yeah, and he's right, that, isn't he? The fact that if you burn a litre in between your fifteen thousand mile services, you get a bit annoyed. Um, you know, which would be that is equivalent of burning what is every 60 miles it's half a liter, so every thousand miles it's about uh eight liters. So in 15,000 miles, you would burn 120 liters of oil. So, how long is a Grand Prix 200 kilometers? Yeah, so that's 1.2 liters per Grand Prix, no, it's 300 kilometers, 300. Yes, uh, that's so that's nearly two liters per hundred kilometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, per race, rather, that you're allowed yes. to burn. Uh, David Surisaki has rightly said, if you consumed that level of oil in your road car, you'd have to carry a spare tank of oil around with you. The problem is that if you're giving people a number, which we think is a high number, then in a sense, you're promoting them ways to find ways to use it because that oil has an energy content. Yep. And he's absolutely right, isn't he? Absolutely. Well, yeah, your, your fuel flow is limited. Therefore, you have a limited amount of, of bang for your, um, your, your, your litre you're allowed to put through at any one point in time. So you can pump in some oil that will burn and produce some power. You're, you're going to do it and you give them a leeway. Now, the interesting thing is that they've been – this has been amended it three times, John, now down to this point six litres. So goodness, I knows what they're burning in the first year of the hybrid cars. Yes. Um, 
and now it's down to a level that is, um, you know, still too high. I think just remember is a racing engine will always burn more oil than a road engine because the way they run the tolerances and everything else is completely different. And if you look at the way, you know, if you look at a piston on a road car, even, you know, they, they have you know, multiple rings and that sort of stuff to stop oil being burnt. Whereas a, a race car will have a very light and uh, normally single ringed uh, piston. I'm sure right now, right turn lovers say, no, they have to, um, you know, to, to, cause it, it's all about, you know, the reducing the friction or losses and reducing the rotating mass, which is obviously the pistons are very large amount about. So they will burn a little bit more, but there's no reason to burn that much. Uh, in terms, uh, here, this is a, a quote from uh, Racing Point Force India's Otmar Schaffner, uh, who has outdeveloped the top Formula One teams from 2017 to 2018. Who does he? Who has? Well, that's what I'm saying. Who does he think has outdeveloped the top teams in their design and performance? Well, in, in pure development terms, the car that's improved most from the start of the season because it was, um, and you know, I hate to say this, it's because as Sam Collins said in our F1 preview, actually, I think it's, I might go listen to the F1 preview again, actually, because mm. um, what Sam said was that he thought that I'll say the car, which is the South mm. Alba, was great, but they didn't know, how, but they hadn't got a handle on it because it's so different from before. He said once they get a handle on that car, it's really going to move forward. And you know, sadly, the local councillor for is it North Hearts East, I think, isn't it? Yeah, uh, was absolutely correct. Um, you know, he, he once they so not only did they had the gains they had from having the, the the great Ferrari engine and, and and a bit more money, they also had the gains because they actually began to unlock what the car should be able to do in the first place. Sauber propped up the constructor standings and, yeah, last year, that, uh, scoring five points. Not, McLaren had thirty. Uh, they got the new spec engine this year, and the C37 has become, uh, well, if not a contender, certainly a strong midfield runner, hasn't it? Well, the, the really interesting thing is what they've what they have done um, is they've continued developing it. They've not stopped. A lot of the other teams gave up, you know, you know pretty much thought right, especially with the, with the new with, with a halfway house set of new regulations next year. Thought right, we'll just concentrate on next year's stuff. And obviously Force India themselves, sorry, facing point Force had their own problem mid season. Um so basically what happened there was that they they divert the car to a point and then they stop. But Sabo carried on developing because I think they realise that the, what they've got here is going to be some sort of basis combined with um what they get handed down to them through the Ferrari Alfa Romeo link. Um, and it's going to be, you know, that's what's to keep them moving forward. So they've carried on developing and looking at whether these these concepts they have have, you know, wings for not only themselves, for next year. Say, but also for the Ferrari um, organisation as a whole. Fred Vasseur, of course, said that Sauber were going to cease development of this uh, 2018 car at the end of July. Um, if they did that to focus on next year, that's one thing. Tibber. Um, <laughs> well, I suppose it depends if, if what you're developing translates into next year's car or not. There's no point in, in, in a team like that developing. Although, in fairness, what the rate at the moment, and if they get a top 10 finish in Brazil, that'll be their best points in a season since 2013. Um, in fact, yeah. they only need one top 10 finish in either Brazil or Abu Dhabi uh, for that. Um, but anyway, the, the point being that... Uh, uh, Schaffner has said that uh, he's very impressed with their development rate. It's very, very impressive, he said, being impressed. Very, very. He was impressed. I don't, you don't think there's some underlying uh, statements. It's so impressive because they're getting a, a leg up from somebody else. You don't think they think that he's trying to infer that. Mm, not sure. Not sure. And finally... There's, a, there's always a what? subtext, John. Oh, always yes. a subtext. Okay. Uh, and finally, uh, yes. who thinks it would be wrong to ditch Pirelli? Um, 
Nobody from Pirelli. Is John Todd, isn't it? Who doesn't yeah. like Pirelli? No, nope, there's a bit of Italian solidarity going on, isn't there? There is. It's Maurizio Arrivaberni, uh, who says it would be wrong for Formula One chiefs to uh, leave Pirelli's experience behind in this uh, brave new era of uh, potentially Hancock, of course, coming on board. Uh, they yeah. are doing. Uh, is this effectively a, a tender operation that's going on? Yes, but of course it's been very, very heavily weighted towards Pirelli by this um, situation where the first year the ten of the cars will be using their current wheels, the little wheels from nineteen um, what sixty-seven, I think, when they, when they went. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the second year they'll be moving on to um, effectively the same size as the wheels you see in Le Mans. Yeah, so in not ultra low profile like you see slam down in a you know in a Leeds housing estate on your Range Rover, but uh, not a twenty-two inch, but uh, practically I think four inches or five inches larger rim. Thirteens um, so to 18s it is, isn't it? Yeah. So you effectively, and that is that is an absolutely massive change, both in for the tire manufacturers, though of course because these companies have built tires have taken very high load. Well, certainly, I don't have Pirelli done a P1 tire. They probably have. Um, no. So Michelin could literally Michelin would just turn it out in about ten. Well, the reason that Michelin didn't pitch, of course, because was because they didn't, when they didn't, it, the, they didn't want to do the single year of the big tires, did they? Well. The first time that this came up at the end of Pirelli's first run at the uh, at the F1 tie contract, there was no chance. They said, we'll have a go um, and we'll put a, a, a bid in, but you have to go to 18s. And the team said no. And Formula One said no. Liberty have since come on board and said, no, we're going to go to 18s. Um, and, but by that Michelin have already moved on in, in what they want to do and they won't do a 13-inch tyre. Hancock have, uh, you know, from what I've heard, Hancock have said they'll do a year of 13-inch tyres. You know, obviously, it is effectively, it's just a massive amount of money because these, these companies are clever enough to do this. So it's just a massive amount of cash and, and the difficulty of development is the other thing. Um, but, but of course, when 18-inch... 18 inch come because so much of the suspension of the car is in the sidewall, which hence the reason when you put right. up a, a pound and a half of PSI, these PSIs have been playing with it's so much more difficult to manage. It changes the sidewall stiffness, and effectively, therefore, you've got different spring rates, which is what it is. Once the cars go to um, uh, larger tyres, obviously, you've got the issue where the braking is going to improve even again um, because they've got much more space to put the, uh, the rotors in. Um, and it will be a very, very different suspension build. I mean, it'll be a, you know, they'll, they'll have it all figured out in a year. But for the first year, you, you, know, you may see a few people get it slightly wrong. Uh, and no surprise, really, that uh, the major supplier for Ferrari road car tyres is being supported by Ferrari's racing arm. I mean, I'm I, being I, a bit cynical there. Well, not really. But then, it, and, and again, you know, it's 2020 it's, to 2023, the next uh, set of tyres. So I, 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 I know that genuinely within the motor racing community and within the, you know, the Pirelli are not held in the highest regard, um, you know, and, and perhaps because of historical failings. However, I do think that they've, they've, they've ha- had a difficult hand dealt them where they've been trying to achieve things which are counterintuitive to someone trying to produce a decent product um you know asked to have tires that fall off cliffs asked to have tires degrade they're asking having tires that you can lean on and then fall off a cliff um you know it's a it's a very very difficult thing to do now whether you know you know it's very easy for us to marvel at what michelin can do at le mans where you can do three hours 40 two hours 40 minutes on a single set of tires and the drop off is negligible but that's you know because they're not working to these limits of trying to make them awful but uh 
you know, I think I think the issue is that tyre manufacturers can make cut tyres now, which can last for the entire Grand Prix with exceptional levels of grip and virtually no degradation if they want to. So it's it's now how do you then engineer in the the pit stops that people want to see? Um, you know, to have some meaningfulness, yeah, because there's no Easy. You know, longer Easy. races. You have a tyre that can do the whole race just about, and you bring back fuel stops. No, you don't. But fuel stops is a nightmare. <laughs> They're dangerous. Um, they just no. The, the lack of fuel stops. Removing fuel stops is the best thing they've done. I don't agree that adds anything to anything. Really? Well, yeah, then, but I mean, why, but why can't you just? In which case, then, why don't you just say you pick your tyres at the start of the race, and there's no pit stops for tyres. Well, because they, they, they real, as far as they're concerned, the strategy is the thing that, which, which is a chance of getting the car. No, faster. that's not true. The only reason that you have mandat- mandatory pit stops for tyres is so that everybody on the television has to talk about the P word. And when they come in and they're going from the yellows to the yeah, blues. Yeah, possibly. But I think, I, think, I think the main reason is, is to try and you know, add a, an extra element of uh, strategic... Um, yeah, mucking up and around. I mean, the other way you could do it really is, is you could actually have them on very, very nice tyres, which are very, very quick, but do go off, you know, because they're just really soft and lovely. Uh, and then just say, right, you've got to make two pit stops. And just make it a mandatory two-stop race. You just give two pit stop windows. Um, I'm not sure why people don't like that idea. But if you want to have a two-stop race, you just make a tyre that can last, you know, you say it could be absolutely fantastic for 25 laps. And then you say, right, you've got two stop, it's a two-stop race. You can choose, you can change between laps. The first stop must be between laps six and fifteen. The second stop must be between laps, you know, twenty-six and fifty. And you can't change. And any any, any stops made during VSC or safety car don't count. I just wrote a rule that solved the problems in what about a minute and a half. I hate that idea because Champ Car tried that and it was rubbish. Yeah, I know. Nick Dearman, who joined us earlier on in the week, just a quick word. Started with that about Rob Smedley leaving uh, Williams. Um, all right, Williams. We've had a bit of fun at their expense. I've just retweeted something from them. There's a lovely bit of topiary in front of the Williams factory at Grove, and it's been given a makeover for Remembrance Sunday. I've just retweeted the video, and fair play to them. Um, and I've just seen somebody who um, tweeted about it. Uh, in the hyper-focus of today's Formula One, uh, Williams remind us of its context. There's winning and there is leading. So Frank is the embodiment of true grit. Um, yeah, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, and uh, some football oh, and Williams results. Williams have actually oh. um, done that in conjunction with Royal British Legion. Yes, they have. They have. They've done it. it, it it's, it's a cracking thing. And as I say, we've we've been critical of them. Um, I, I'm the first to put my hand up and say they've stepped up and done exactly what you'd expect from an organisation led by Sir Frank Williams. Uh, very well done. Uh, some football results just to prove we are still live? Uh, yes, it went to penalties. Oh, and it? Uh, yes, so uh, 4-3 to the away team on kicks from the penalty spot. Okay, fine. Uh, this weekend, it is Race of, Reset, Race of Remembrance from Anglesey. Uh, Johnny Palmer and Di Binks with Nick Damon providing the technical support and Tim and Curry will be in London. Jeremy and I will be at Sebring for the Michelin IMSA uh, Encore. Please join us for that. And next week at the same time, 8pm. It's Remembrance Sunday this weekend here in the UK. A 100 years since the guns felt fell silent at the end of the First World War. We will remember them. Good night. 
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.